It's lovely. Everybody, that was a fife and drum core of, of Revolutionary War songs. I think we're in another revolution now. Oh, it's a quiet, a quiet revolution. Quiet so revolution. I thought I would play that. Okay, I do. I have you know. There's actually now a declaration of uh, quiet resistance. I, I, oh. Did you get these? It, it was posted on my door here. This is it. <laughs> I can read you a little of it. It's kind of long. It's not as long as the original Declaration of Independence, which was which was wordy. You know, they felt like they yeah. had to explain every why are we doing this? Why are we? Oh, you this because the British are assholes. But this is by anonymous. What? I see. This is by anonymous. Anonymous, who did the op-ed piece, actually went a, <laughs> one step further and made a declaration of. Uh, well, I'll read it to you. It's a quiet resistance. When in the course of gross incompetence, it becomes necessary for the people to dissolve the political, political bands which have connected them with the duly elected and to assume among the powers of the earth the rights to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes. See, this is from Jefferson, mostly, except for the gross incompetence. <laughs> Uh, which impel them to resist the worst inclinations and impulses of the impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective chief executive of the republic. We hold these truths to be self-evident. This is the good stuff. You know, Not sh- Shout out to Tom Jefferson. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain ina- unalienable rights, unpronounceable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and that whenever any office or officer of the people becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the governed to alter or abolish him. Him. It or him. I said I left out oh. it. It or him and to institute new governance and leadership, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Hmm. Want to hear hear you more? There's a a sentence. So it's all one sentence. (laughs) A long one. Yeah. You know, Jefferson made that thing. You could write one pen, and then another pen would write the same thing you're writing for making duplicates. Yeah. Did you see that? Uh You were there at Monticello, weren't you? Did you see that? That's my favorite thing there. Oh, the, you, yeah. I forgot what that's called. Auto pen, I think it was. No, there's a f- fancy name for it, but I don't know what it I is. I think it was auto pen. No. <laughs> but, uh, but never mind. 
when a long train of abuses and usurpations evinces a design to obstruct the laws of nature and man under an absolute despotism of repetitive rants and impulsive, half-baked, ill-formed, reckless decisions requiring walking back. <coughs> requiring walking back. Jefferson would never have said walking was back. Over. This is where the guy comes in who wrote this. Yes. Do you understand that? But he... Do you understand that? And he put you, it, are you missing the premise <clears throat> here? Yes. Do you need something for that call? Are you okay? No, I'm... All right. I'll just keep breathing. I don't have to Heimlich you dude, no. in the middle of this declaration of quiet <laughs> resistance. Ill-formed, reckless... <clears throat> I'm just clearing my throat. Tell me again and I'll turn your mic off. What are you going to do? Just say... <laughs> give me a Point? Point. Ill-formed, reckless decisions requiring walking back. It is the people's right. It is their duty to throw off such governance, to provide new guards for their future security, and to alter any system or remove any individual threatening to establish literally a tyranny over the people. Hmm. Literally, that's how you know it's a modern. (laughs) We, therefore, the quietly resistant of the executive branch, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these United States anonymously publish and declare that the people we serve are and of right ought to be free and independent people and as such are absolved from any and all allegiance to any elected elected official of even the highest rank who abuses their trust so that they may again follow the lodestar, the lodestar, of a democratic republic free of the tribalism trap. That's also new. Declaring such relationship and is and ought to be totally dissolved to ensure and restore honor to public life and reform the national dialogue between citizen and representative to reach across political divides, resolving to shed all labels in favor of a single one, Americans. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Peace out. Anonymous. It's clearly John Hancock. Look John at that, Hancock? Look at that signature. It's, la- it's large. Yeah, but John Hancock didn't do any writing. He just did the signing. He was a big shot signing it. Oh, I see. Then we'll never know. All right, so enough of that. I'm not playing any more of that fife and drum music, but that's this is this Rod, it was nailed to the door earlier today. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. I wasn't accusing you of doing it. And uh, how are you? You're looking well, I must say. I'm here with Lyle, and Lyle, uh, you're you know the assignment. No. Uh, my summer vacation in 500 words. Oh. It's about a page and a half double spaced. I never had a summer vacation. What did you do? Uh, nothing. I don't. You didn't do it. You must have done something. Did you go somewhere? Take a trip? Uh, have a moment of yes. Under last a tree? week, last weekend, I had a mini class reunion. You did high school time. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was very nice. Okay. Where, where was your mini school? In Abbotsford. Abbotsford, of course. It's yes. now consolidated, though, right? One of the no, it, it, it was when we went to school. It was Door Abbey. Oh, what was the door for? Uh, Dorchester. Dorchester, of course. And uh, they were together for three years, and then yeah. they split up. They split up again? They each have their own school now, or did one just disappear? No, one, one got married to uh, Colby. 
Dora Colby, huh? No, the the door went away. The Colby won out, so it's just Abbotsford and Colby now. Dorchester has no. So Dorchester is not represented. Uh, at no, all? not in the, in its names. Okay, that's kind of it's, sad. It's, it's, it's sad. Because you were actually in Dorchester, weren't you? Were no. Uh, Abbotsford. Ab- address was Abbotsford. Abbotsford. But we were closer to Dorchester. Okay. So there's that. You're sort of halfway in between them? No, you're closer no, to No, we were uh, five miles from Abbotsford and four miles from Dorchester. Yeah. What is that road there that connects one to the other? It, it didn't have, uh, oh, Highway 13. Oh, yeah, Highway 13, right. Yeah, That's that the dividing line of the state, isn't it? Highway 13? Uh, yes, Highway 13 like, and Highway 29, and they cross yeah. in Abbotsford, and that's oh. where people... Up north is above that. Yes. And people and would know rest. People would know Abbotsford because the buses were... Would, they would change buses there. Uh-huh. I mean, this is like <clears throat> 80 years ago, people would yeah. know that. Now They had buses 80 years ago? Uh, I guess. I don't know. Oh, wow. it, sure, that's just World War Oh, they had buses in World War II. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's so great to have you here. The insights on and so and uh, and uh, did and how was what happened at the reunion? Was there? Uh, We just got together for dinner and uh, how many of you are left? Three? Well, no, no. This was just a mini reunion. It wasn't an official reunion. One of our our five uh, people people were was coming from Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, for a Dorchester reunion, because oh. Dorchester was having an all-school reunion. Oh, that's But I wasn't, I never went there. My mother graduated from Dorchester High School, but Julie. I never went to Dorchester any school. So, yeah. so they were sucking no off some of the survivors to no, Dorchester? No, they just, they just had this uh, all-school reunion for old people, because they're... Or the guy, the, who was the guy from Phoenix? Uh, Dan Yanch. Dan Yanch. Yes. Did he come to the reunion, or did he go? Yes. Because I, I, I thought you were saying there was another one going on at Dorchester. Yes, there was on. on it, but he didn't go to it. No, I didn't go to it. He no, he, he, was, about, he was he, coming here. Dan Yanch. He Dan Yanch was Dan coming Yanch. here for, to go to the reunion on Saturday, so. Our mutual classmate friend, Bonnie Whiteman, she organized a little dinner for, uh, for those of us in the class of 1964. And so we had 19, dinner. It was 1964. Yes. Okay. Thank, thank God for that. <laughs> and so we had a very nice dinner, so, and, and everybody So he didn't come to the general thing? He came to a dinner later? Is no, that he the, came to both of them. How could he do that? I mean, plying well, one was Friday, Highway 13? One was Friday night and one was Saturday oh, okay. during the day. Okay, all right. Well, forgive me for But that. I wasn't involved in the Saturday because I, I had to come back and get the dog out of the kennel by noon. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? Well, no, not really. No, I, no it's a good excuse. Yeah. So then well, uh, so what sort was of that. festivities, anything going on there? Do they have a... Uh, no, it was just a dinner. How many? I mean, how, how many? Oh, there was about a dozen uh, plus assorted uh, spouses. Dozen and spouses, or the, okay. uh, how many were there originally? Like only about probably oh, the about classes classes only seventy nine. So yeah, okay. So there and was, several of us have uh, you know moved on, as they say. <laughs> okay, so that was was it. Was there dancing? And there was no, a, we're too old to dance, but a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness! And could you recognize anybody? Yeah, I I know most. They had name tags. I know most I, of them. Well, no, I won't go back to those anymore. No. No, 
Oh, we reunion every. You laugh is I went to one. I went to my twenty fifth from high school. Never Mar- again. Marty Becker, who used to have a shaggy <laughs> hairdo, right? Shaggy hairdo. Oh, the hair was always in his eyes, you know, like a beetle cut. I was there, and I saw saw this bald guy come up to me, and I went, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> And I felt I felt bad about it ever since. I really didn't. It was just an honest reaction, you know, because I <laughs> Marty oh, I'm, is hair, and Marty is no hair. He's probably used to it. Yeah, and I feel bad about it. Sorry, Marty Becker, if you ever hear this. <laughs> he was like my best friend for uh, yeah until then. <laughs> <laughs> so you recognize most people, and uh, well, yeah. yes, yeah. Although I, the first guy that I, I talked to, I, I, I didn't recognize him mm-hmm. because it's not somebody we, we never really knew each other in high school, so there's no reason to. But, uh, um, but yeah, when you only have 79 people and uh, a, a bunch of them are no longer with us, uh, it's uh, not that hard to. And besides, people are able to say, well, I'm so and so. And then, yeah. like, oh, okay. Would you keep talking about this? I, I've left my monologue. Left your monologue. Yeah. Go ahead. All the news is. Go ahead. Just <laughs> I have no news to. <laughs> you could order from the specials. I had the shrimp special. Fourteen ninety five. Oh, you had to pay for it there at the table when they take it in advance? <clears throat> no, it was just, it was just the, you know, 20 people all together. So it wasn't exactly a, an affair. The shrimp. And what do you get with the shrimp special? Oh, it, it came with a little bit of coleslaw, some potato salad, and... Um, Are there many shrimp naturally around Dorchester? And uh, no, but it was, it was quite good, surprisingly enough. Yeah. It's not like, you know, having seafood in uh, Nebraska. No. Okay. Well, and so a good time was had by all. Oh, a good time was had by all. Did anyone give a speech or a presentation? No, or no, no. Slides? None of that. No. Do they have slides from those days? Heaven's knows. No. Well, we're 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 having our you know our next five it year like, reunion just next year, so somebody's got to organize that. Every five years me. they do it. Yeah, we just in case you know. No, somewhere. we've had a reunion every five years since uh, reunion. And have you gone to all of them? I've gone to m- most of them. I That's think I've incredible. only missed two out of since. Well, we we started at at year fifteen. Yeah, I got to do this now because we're calling him. It's, in it's time to yes. Uh, in all the news that isn't uh, treason, minutes. treason sniffing dogs in the West Wing have narrowed the pack down to three possible writers of the Quiet Resistance op-ed: Mike Pence, Donald Jr., and surprisingly Kellyanne. Uh, all have motives. Pence better job. Jr. revenge for his entire life. And Kellyanne, well. She's just taken about all she can take. I personally would like to see it be Kellyanne for her sake. But realistically, if she wrote the thing, it would all be text abreaves and spell-checked wrong words in the writing. And at the end, she would have said, stay classy, America. Uh, Bob Woodward's book, Fear, that started all this, got its uh, insights on Crazy Town from a source high in the administration dubbed Deep State Throat. I'm rather proud of that one and giving myself a smiley face. Uh, General Mad Dog Mattis kicked in that the president's understanding of things in general is at a fifth or sixth grade level, which would seem to be generous by about five or six grades. Uh, He wanted to nuke North Korea, but nobody had the heart to tell him South Korea was attached. Uh, Trump foreign policy, or let's kill them all, 
has been pretty well documented by a number of sources, including guys at the 19th Hole Club at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the aide stealing documents off his desk and putting them up on eBay. Everyone knew about that. Uh, and the lawyer who told him not to testify because, quote, you don't want to look like an idiot is not there anymore. But the idiot still is. <laughs> uh, so all in all, not a lot of surprises for all the hubbub, bub. Not surprisingly, nobody in Woodward's book thinks Trump is playing dumb. Uh, another news that isn't Amazon valued at $1 trillion plus free shipping. A space station air leak was caused by a man-made and not an extraterrestrial drill. Trump joke sessions couldn't be a one-man... <clears throat> Take two. Trump joke sessions couldn't be a one-man country lawyer down in Alabama. So if this confirmation thing falls through, Kavanaugh and Sessions can hang up a shingle together in Selma. <laughs> Kavanaugh, of course, is the guy you couldn't stand in school who was in every class with you from kindergarten to grad school. God, he's in that class again. John Trebilcock was for me. Ah. A guy named Dunn. Of course, we called him Triplecock. <laughs> but he deserved it. <laughs> well, I wonder if he's ever out there. I don't know about here. Fine, I like that. Now I'd probably like him. Maybe not. No. Yeah. Uh, Kaepernick protest protesters are still burning their shoes, but so far no shorts. <laughs> uh, and they're doing it, of course, because you can own liberals if you burn your Nikes. But once you own them, you're going to have to listen to them and say they understand how you feel for the rest of your miserable lives. Uh, I don't see Nike going to just screw it anytime soon. Apropos of nothing, isn't it just a little bit odd that Trump named his youngest son after his pseudonym, John Barron? I feel like if we could understand that, we could understand Trump, but probably not. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not his. Maybe it actually belongs to this <laughs> John Barron person. Alter ego. All right, yes. Uh, Trump lets it be known he would be open to a golden parachute. Oh, wait a minute, it's not a parachute. Never mind. In business news, uh, Tesla's shares drop 8% after uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, I don't know what to call him. Let me start again. He doesn't even know. Yeah, especially after smoking that blunt. <laughs> I, I, Ellen, I don't care. Call me Elon. Elaine. Call me Elaine. I don't care. In business news, Tesla shares drop 8% after Elon Musk smokes a blunt on Joe Rogan's UFC podcast. Oh, it's a podcast. So apparently a lot of those Teslas are going up in smoke uh, due to blunts. Being consumed in their burnable chassis. A study finds that office workers don't want treadmill desks, nap pods, or bring your dog to work days. They overwhelmingly want a goddamn window to press their noses up against. Uh, Germans being the one exception to this rule, wanting only to have good Sitzfleisch or sitting meat. The German ideal worker has Sitzfleisch. You. Sitting meat. And that's all the news that isn't. A sigh. Ben Yagoda. Oh. We're going to talk with Ben Yagoda now coming up, and uh, uh, I think you're going to like it. You're going to like you go to like it. I want you to know that I, 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 I take uh, how, how to not write bad with me when I go to a, sit in a hotel and I throw the Bible out and I put this in the drawer. <laughs> that's how so I, you're the one that's yeah. where I get my sales. Thank you. That's how I feel about this book. The only thing I disagreed with that was because you said not to use a thesaurus. And uh, 
Hmm. For my bar mitzvah, I got a really nice Roger's thesaurus that's annotated with quotations on the bottom for every word. Right. Like servility, you have on the bottom it says, away with slavish weeds and servile thoughts, Shakespeare. So I used to put those in my themes in sixth grade, and I killed yeah, no, that's great. I, if I wrote that, and if there's a never, another, never, if there's ever another edition, I'm going to take that back because I don't know what got into me to say don't use a thesaurus. Uh, I guess I should say don't misuse a thesaurus. Yeah, that's what was misuse of thesaurus. Because uh, I know some students would sort of say, "Well, I want to say this is good, so I'll just open up the thesaurus, thesaurus to the good entry, and put my finger down on a word that." Kind of looks good, yeah. And that—that's not the way to use yeah. one of those guys. I suspect you—you—you you, quit—you retired from teaching. You didn't quit. You, didn't, you weren't forced out <laughs> I did. or anything. But uh, how's how's that? I, I bet you're doing more now than you did when you were simply teaching. Well, I when I started teaching, which is about 26 years ago, I took in my freelance writer shingle. And now I've put it back outside again, and so it's gathering some rain and bird droppings. But it's out there, so yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm back at the freelance yeah and, hack game. And I'm glad about that for, because it resulted in one share for whataboutism in the New York Times, one of the recent right. ones. What is whataboutism? Uh, whataboutism is a sort of rhetorical ploy where. If, let's say, a Trump opponent is arguing with a Trump supporter and the opponent says Trump is a kleptocrat, cozies up to foreign dictators, sleazy business man, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the Trump supporter says, but what about Hillary's email? <laughs> uh, that's a kind of absurd example, but yeah. you see it... Um, but you see it all the time. You hear it all the time. All the time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the one fear is that the example I just gave, it's, it's clearly a deflection from the point being discussed and bringing up something completely irrelevant and not, you know, uh, not on the same level. But, but sometimes um, what about ism is pointing out a hypocrisy in your opponent or a double standard, and that can be a reasonable kind of argument to make. Yeah, and you cited That's both the one you cited both Hannity and Roseanne Barr. That seems to be justified in those cases. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, double standards aren't the worst thing, but they are a thing and I guess one should try to avoid them. Yeah. I, I like seeing Hannity side by side with himself. Saying the opposite. Right, yeah, that it's, was it's the really cute. Show. Yeah, his his uh, uh, criticism of, I guess it was Obama, of meeting with dictators about yeah. how it was the worst thing ever and uh, un-American and cowardly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, corresponding with his praising of of Trump for opening up dialogues with people like, people like the leaders of North Korea and, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, Choose a side, side. Either it's a terrible thing or it's an okay thing, but try to be a, a, a bit consistent about it. Yeah. There's a Latin name for it, isn't it? Yeah, and I can't tell you what it is because I'll mangle it. I, to I, quoque. I think, yeah, thank you. Does that sound Latin? For me. Does that sound Latin? Yeah, that's Latin. it. 
No. Well, no, okay. No help. Yeah. I, I Latin for you also. Yeah, yeah, you all. You, all you, you too. Right. Yeah. So that's actually, it's a fallacy, a logical fallacy. And I took, you know, the one course I took in philosophy was, turned out to be in logic, which is, so it was useless. But it was kind of cool because I learned all these Latin ways of saying, you know, uh, non hoc propto ergo hoc, and, uh, you know. <laughs> so I throw them in conversations once in a while, you know. Ex post uh, facto you. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Um, yeah. yeah, and and it seems to have emerged during the Irish Troubles. This is the part where it gets kind of complex here. Right. The the, the term whataboutism or whataboutery was, was coined because seemingly it was a frequent sort of argument used in, during the Irish Troubles in the 70s and 80s where any time one side actions were criticized, the response would be not to defend or, you know, say that's not true, but, but rather is to say, well, what about your side? You did X, Y, and Z. And some clever person coined the term, and it, and it stuck. Mm-hmm. Then I couldn't, uh, Ben, I couldn't help but notice uh, uh, this one here. In, in, you know, there's a, a strong language blog, right? It's, right. It's a, it's a swearing a, blog. You were on that recently. Swearing blog. I'm a sort of minor contributor to that. I think I've done two or three posts, but people like uh, Stan Carey and James Harbeck and Nancy Friedman are the real standard bearers. They, they, uh, do you have that URL on you? Um, was it stronglanguage.com or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's on WordPress, they, actually. Yeah, it's a WordPress blog, and, and they really uh, they are on, on the job. Um, you know, analyzing all the new new directions and dimensions and swearing, yeah. of which there are a lot. And, and in this, you 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 cite Marco Rubio uh, talking about ah. Donald Trump, and he's seen, there's another one for the what aboutism now too. And what did I say? That Rubio well, I'll tell you said. what I'll tell you exactly what you said, Ben. Okay. In your own words, you said, uh, "What'd you say here?" They're wetting themselves. Oh, oh no, that, that was thing. Yeah. And they say that yeah. that was merely one. Uh, it, someone said that in departments. Uh, Kuttner said that Bannon minced no words describing his efforts to neutralize his rivals at the Department of Defense, State, and Treasury. They're wetting themselves, he said, proceeding to detail wow. how he would oust some of his opponents of the state and defense. But now, so but the wedding is the key phrase here. Wedding themselves, uh, could, because the subtitle here is "No dry seats in the House or Senate <laughs> from all the wedding." Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the boundaries keep getting pushed, um, and of course the title is an allusion to a quote from the great Alfred Hitchcock, who said his goal in making the movie was to leave not a dry seat in the House. That's what he said. Yeah. Did his guy say that? That's great. I love him even more now, knowing that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so that was merely one iteration of a metaphor that has been in the political era since at least February 2016, when during a Republican debate, Senator Marco Rubio took aim at then-candidate Donald Trump. Uh, He called me Mr. Meltdown. Let me tell you something. Last night in a debate featuring one of the breaks, two of the breaks, he went backstage and he was having a meltdown. First, he had one of those makeup things applying around his mustache because he had one of those great sweat mustaches. 
Then he asked for a full-length mirror. I don't know why, because he, the podium goes up to here. I don't know why, maybe to make sure his pants weren't wet. So there's oh, the Rubio man. statement. Boy, back in the days of the campaign, you know, it's amazing to see the quotes about Trump that people like Rubio and Cruz and Lindsey Graham, yeah. <laughs> you know, unfit, things like what you just read, and, and now, now they're best buds. Best buds. Hard to fathom. Sean Hannity gets in on the on the wet bottoms too. Pants wetting. Uh, he said that anti-Trump forces were wetting their pants over the publication yeah. of James Comey's memo. Uh, then the Bannon interview and that came up again. So a lot a lot of wetting going on here. A whole that, lot of wetting going on. Yeah, yeah. whole lot of wetting going on. Wedding bell blues. Do you have anything more to add to this, or is this just... A no, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'm kind of just glad that trend, that, that language trend, it seems to have subsided. Um, uh, but, you know, these things, it, it, writing about languages I do, um, you know, I, I started out by reading William Sapphire, who was mm-hmm. you know, from the New York Times, sort of the pioneer of doing this sort of thing. And it's amazing that he was able to do it in the pre-internet age because, um, you know, the internet is not great for finding out facts or truths uh, unless you, you know, use it very, very precisely and, and well. But it's really, really great for finding out the way people express themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, right, wrong, indifferent, good grammar, bad grammar, uh swearing, not swearing, you can monitor these things. And, uh, you know, I write a weekly, I, I fairly, in, rarely do this strong language thing, but I write a week, weekly post for the Lingua Franca mm-hmm. blog on writing a language for the Chronicle of Higher Education. And then I have my own blog called Not One-Off Criticisms. Uh, about British expressions like gone missing and ginger and one-off that have found their way into American language. Yeah, and more and more. More and more. And, you know, uh, I'm you know, waiting for the Russian phrases to creep in, though. Like they did in Clockwork, <laughs> in Clockwork Orange, you know? English was, was right, right. dappled with Russian, and that but it was prescient. Yeah, we had this sort of glasnost moment, but, but yeah. not much after that. You no. know, that might be the next. Yeah. Might well be the next. But, yeah, so um, you, you can chart these things kind of amazingly um, with Google and Google Ngrams and Google Books and New York Times archive going back to 1850. Search for any word or phrase and see immediately when it was first used. So it's, uh, it's a dream come it's, true it's for you. Coin- for, for language geeks yeah. and nerds, it is a dream come true. Yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a golden age. I, I'll, I'll Maybe s- that's the only way it's the gold, <laughs> it's golden age, but uh, it is. You know, you know what struck me? Because I was, when I said, well, I'll give Ben you go down. And I'd love to, to ask him about uh, Trump rhetoric and Trump lexicon and what he makes of it. Because and, and, perhaps we could understand this man if we understood his use of rhetoric. Which is quite polished in a strange way, and uh, and his lexicon, the words he chooses. Yeah. But then I saw this thing that you did on cognitive biases and the human brain. Mm. It's all over Donald Trump. He's a mass of cognitive. I mean, we all are, I guess, 
having these cognitive biases. First of all, what, what is a cognitive bias? Cognitive bias is a term, and, and heuristic is another uh, similar word, that basically refer to uh, bad or faulty ways in which human beings seem to be hardwired to think. Mm-hmm. Mistakes we make. Um, Daniel Kahneman is one of the founders of the field, and he won the Nobel Prize for Economics and wrote a best-selling book a couple of years ago that really explained it all well called Thinking Fast and Slow. Hmm. And the basic idea is that the fast thinking, he calls it System 1, is uh, instinctive and really prone to a lot of mistakes. Um, You know, one example might be the gambler's fallacy. So if you're flipping coins and there's 50-50 chance heads or tails and it's tails 10 times in a row, what are the chances of heads on number 11? Um, most people would say, well, it's, it's probably going to be heads because it's, you know, it's been tails 10 times in a row. The chances are it'll be heads this time. And in fact, that's not true. That's, yeah. It's 50-50 every time, no matter what the past mm-hmm. has been. Right. So there's, you know, several dozen more than a hundred of these that, that economists and psychologists have studied over the years. Yeah. The, the one that really comes to mind regarding Trump, and maybe not so much Trump himself, but his supporters and <laughs> also his opponents, um, it's kind of the most pernicious one, I think, is confirmation bias. Confirmation and, bias, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and that's the one where if we think something, if we have a certain conviction, um, you know, Trump mm-hmm. is great for the country or Trump is bad for the country, say, um, we are sort of just totally inclined to lead everything that happens as proof of our position. Right. Or if it seems to go against our permission, our conviction to either ignore it or um, discount it. Or sort of misinterpret it as as being proof of ours, uh, and the most uh, calamitous example of that in recent history is the uh, war in, in Iraq and the the whole idea that um, Saddam Hussein and the Iraqis had weapons of mass destruction, right. which, as you will call, is the reason that we went to war against them. Um, and it seems to be the case that uh, it was not a cynical political ploy, but universally uh, an article of faith among the entire defense and intelligence, you know, part of the government that that they in fact did have these weapons. Um, and of course, they didn't. But the confirmation bias, the the belief that they did, and it was kind of a reasonable hypothesis because it. He had had them before and used them before, um, led people to that conviction, and they saw everything as proof of it. Mm-hmm. And anything that would suggest otherwise, they discounted it or misinterpreted it. And, you know, this sort of so has disturbed our, our defense and intelligence um, uh, p- part of our government that, that they've tried to figure out ways to to counter it, and one of the things in the article in the Atlantic that they um, 
have, have subsidized and encourages researchers to come up with video games that uh, will hopefully train people yeah. against confirmation bias and some of the other yeah. uh, main biases. And so that, that's an area that, that researchers are doing a lot of work in right now, so-called serious game. Yeah, or they, they could turn it over to some sort of uh, artificial intelligence that has no cognitive bias, but if they were programmed by people, they would have, probably. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this sort of Mr. Spock idea, um, purely rational yeah. uh, decisions. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Your landline's yeah. ringing. Yeah, the <laughs> landline is ringing. And my little display said, Sam, um, question mark. <laughs> so, so I hung up on it. But, but yeah, the um, purely rational beings, you know, that's, that's a conceit in, in Star Trek and things like that and artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm not by any means an expert enough to say whether that's really possible. But yeah, because look at Hal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Uh, what's the one where you won't change your opinion about something no matter how much evidence, no, no how much that's proof? That's it. Is that the same one? That's confirmation bias. Yeah. yeah. No, because my brother Arthur was that way. Yeah, like oh, yeah. He would say well, something about the world or something, and I'd show him my, our history, and I would show him the passage in my history book, yeah. and he'd say, oh, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. used to frustrate me. He's still that way. Very, very attached. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other one that came up with Trump, and, and um, you know, he's by no means not alone, is the so-called sunk cost fallacy. And that's the idea right. that if a person or a country or a company has, you know, put resources into an effort and it's going badly, uh, well, you know, we put enough already, we, should, we shouldn't back out now. And, and that, that's a total fallacy. Um, you know, if you're paid $10 to see a movie and in the first 30 minutes, you come to understand this movie is terrible. You don't like it. You're pretty positive it's not going to get any better. The idea of sitting through the other 90 minutes just to protect your $10 investment is absurd. And economists like to say that economists always walk out of bad movies because they understand the sunk cost fallacy. Uh, well, when Trump announced he was putting more troops into Afghanistan, he made a sunk cost argument and said, well, we've, you know, lost so many lives and spent enough money that we've got to commit more, um, which is a fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not the only one. Yeah. So uh, can we say there are good and bad cognitive biases? Can you have a good cognitive bias, one that actually... Uh, holds up? <laughs> well, it's a good question. I guess the one that comes to mind, or a couple, um, there, there's one called the, the optimism bias, and that's why right. um, you know plans for bridges and stadiums always come in five years late and $100 million over budget <laughs> that people tend to be optimistic in their projections on the future and sort of similar to overconfidence bias when you have a group of, you know, randomly selected people and ask them, are they a better than average driver? 90% say yes. 
uh, which, if you think about it, is, you know, wrong, because only 50% will be better than average in a group of random selected people. But you could make the argument that, um, within reason, that sort of optimism and confidence is, is a good thing. Without it, maybe we'd stay in bed and, you know, look at our palms all day. Or, um, or whatever. Or whatever, right? Uh, so, so that might be yeah. uh, a useful, a useful bias. And, you know, uh, these things, were uh, evolved via evolution, as most things evolve mm-hmm. via. And, uh, you know, another one is the loss aversion. We are more prone to avoiding losses than seeking out good things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. that probably came about because back in the jungle, it was it would be more bad to be eaten by a tiger than it would be good to find a, you know a nice berry tree. So we are really inclined to avoid losses. And yeah. maybe in some ways that's good, but on the other hand, um, it might be something to, to try to counter if avoiding losses um, kind of ties you to, to a place where you can't go out and see good things. So or, or you could have double-edged you, sword. You could have overarching bias, which is, covers uh, everything, I guess. Right, right. That would not be so great. I don't think, you know, <laughs> you know I, I got so excited about this when I read read your article. I went out and got the whole list from Wikipedia. There, cognitive bias. I think there's 180. Okay. And I circled the ones that I had. I mean, then I started realizing I'm going to circle all of these. You know. Right. But you actually went out. Did you try to lose your bias? Is well, that that was the original idea of the article. Yeah. You know. Um, when Daniel Kahneman and others write about these things, they usually say, you know, can you get rid of them? Well, probably not. Uh, the best thing you can do is sort of manage them, be aware of them, things like that. But there are some researchers out there who um, are trying to find ways that maybe you can overcome them. And the video games I mentioned yeah. is, is one. And, and, anything and anything surgical? Uh, nothing sick. That might be the next frontier. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one that I started out the article talking about that was pretty interesting is uh, there's a thing called present bias. So we're, we're much more concerned, and to some extent rationally, with what's going on right now than what will happen to us 20 years, 30 years in the future. And right. that's one reason why savings rates are, are terrible. And even when you know, a company will say, kick into a retirement fund, we'll match whatever you put in. A good number of people just don't do it. Um, so this guy out in UCLA, Hal Hirschfeld, um, is trying to find ways for people to engage with what he calls their, quote, future self. And so one of the things he does is he, he gets a group of undergraduates that his his test group together and he gets pictures of them, photos, and for, for half the group, he manipulates that photo so these 20-year-olds, it'll look like when they're 80 years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, with the liver spots and the wrinkles and the what have you. And he has them just sort of stare at it for a minute, minute and a half. And then, uh, without telling them what he's doing, 
And uh, uh, then he, you know, asked a bunch of questions, one of which to the whole group is, you know, if you had $100 and you had a choice of either, you know, spending it on uh, something fun or banking it or putting it in retirement, what would you do? And it turns out the group looking at their ancient selves uh, said they would put a significantly higher percentage in, in the retirement. <laughs> Uh, so he did it for me, and of course I'm already old, so the, the experiment was a little bit, but he made a picture of me even older, and so I stared at that for a while, and first of all I was horrified. And, yeah. um, but, you know, the problem is I already put away all everything to the 403 and the 401 mm -hmm. and, and, and have the will, so um, I didn't quite know if <laughs> Experiment was successful or not? And now, and now, but looking I mean, at yourself in the mirror, you're glad you did. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, when I look in the mirror, at least I look younger than that photo. So there's, there's, uh, <laughs> I know. Wow, that's good. That's great. I love it. I, you know, these are so great. If I don't, I see some here that, that I may not have. Courtesy bias. Uh, mm, what, it, yeah, what's that? That's the tendency to give an opinion that is more socially correct than one's own true opinion. <laughs> To avoid okay. offense, well, you know, Michael, and there's the Wikipedia bias, uh, <laughs> uh, the Wikipedia effect, which you know, uh, you or I or downstairs neighbor, anybody can go in there and put some of these things on there. And, and I, it was one I think I read about. I don't know, was it the IKEA bias? Yes, I believe in that <laughs> one. Though <laughs> you think you can, you know, put together. a faster than you can or slower than you can. No, it means you like something that you partially assembled yourself more than... Oh, you, I, than, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And that's, right. that's definitely so, true. Yeah, I, I guess it is true. I can't uh, believe uh, um, But, you know, on the Wikipedia list, some of them are, are, are a little more... Uh, well, more, have been more deeply studied than others, let me put it that way. Yes, I would think so. Well, uh, I, I, gotta, I know you you got to get somewhere. Uh, I guess. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like I'm trying to get rid of you. I'm just trying to get rid of you bias. But you didn't you say you had, how long is this going to take? I remember hearing that. And then, so I thought uh, you have to be somewhere. So I, should we wrap it up now? Uh, well, you know, there's always some place to go. So I, I think we, uh, <laughs> my optimism bias says to me that we covered all the important biases. Most of the good ones. Explained it clearly to all yeah. listeners. So, yeah. Empathy gap. I like to have an, the endowment effect. It would be nice to have an endowment. Exactly. Right, right. Expectation. Actually, the endowment is the one that Richard Thaler won the most recent Nobel Prize for economics. And that's the idea. So, um, and that's a pretty interesting one. So, let's say you're a, a huge, huge Bruce Springsteen fan. and <laughs> you went out and wanted to see his latest show, went out in StubHub and said, okay, you know, I'm going to spend $500. That, that's all I'm going to spend. That's, that's what I'll spend for a ticket to this show. And you, and you managed to get one, snag a ticket for $500. Um, you know, a week goes by and, and you have that ticket, you own it. That's, that's the endowment idea that, that now it's, it's something you have and own. Um, it turns out that people in this situation, if someone comes and says, I'll give you $1,500 for that ticket, I'll give you $2,000 for that ticket, they tend to say no. 
Yeah. When it's already been established that, or that they have established themselves, told themselves that 500 is all I'm willing to spend. By the traditional rules of economics, they would mm-hmm. say, sure, I'll take the 1500. Mm-hmm. But um, this goes against traditional economics where, you know, sort of a dollar is a dollar and a thing is worth what it's worth. Mm-hmm. The fact that we own something changes what it's worth in our mind, and, yeah. and Thaler won the Nobel for that. Wow. He's at the University of Chicago. Just for that one thing? Just, well, no, 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 no. I, um, I wouldn't have come up with the same endowment effect, yeah. but I could have come up with something. <laughs> I think I would have, <laughs> done, I would have was, sold it. What does that make me? The, the unendowed effect. <laughs> You're the outlier. outlier. Um, but that was That was the most prominent thing yeah. that he's come up with, but he's, he's done quite a lot. That's amazing. Ben, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, because I know you've got a lot of things to do right now. Yes, I'm going to find something right now. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, always it's a, a pleasure. Yeah. Ben, you go to ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Michael. Well, that's about time for us, then. I'm sorry, you couldn't hear any of that, did you? We had to plug you in. already gone to bed and yeah. you're just listening to it. Yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. You see their mouths moving but you don't No no you're you're you know, You're in sleeping. You're 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 yes. going to sleep but and you can hear them talking but <laughs> Well thanks anyhow. I'm sure it was great. It was great. Thank you all. Bye for now. Talk to you real soon.